This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. And a good nerve Shabbos. I'm Mashi Lipsker. And we meet today on the sixth day of the month of Elul. The month of Elul is that incredible gift from Hashem, a time of grace, a time of opportunity, a time of favor, a time of closeness, when Hashem just waits for us, looks for us, and with any overture that we make toward Him, Hashem absolutely responds in His infinite blessed way. It's a very special Erev Shabbos, an Erev Shabbos that Jewish women have come to treasure. The late dawn nates, Devorah nates, Aleha Shalom, initiated a wonderful um, initi- initiative. And what she did was she designated the first Friday in Elul as a time for Jewish women to bring in Shabbos a little bit early, well, actually to gather around the candles a bit early and to pray for peace in their hearts and homes, peace in our country and peace in the Holy Land. And of course, that would lead to peace in the entire world. And to recite Psalm 27, giving a bit of extra tzedakah, charity, before beginning, and her children, particularly her daughter, Aviva Nates Fox, has continued with this wonderful initiative. So today is the Jewish Women's National Day of Prayer. Dawn Nates started this in 1995, requesting all Jewish women throughout South Africa, and now they're doing it internationally to set aside a few minutes extra on Erev Shabbos today, the 6th of Elul, the 17th of August, and to pray, as mentioned, for peace and harmony, personal, national, international, and particularly for Eretz Israel, and also to give some tzedakah, either to put it into a tzedakah box, as we always do right before lighting candles, and to recite Psalm 27, which is that wonderful psalm by David, which speaks about this time of year and reminds us that God is our light and our our salvation and that we have no one to fear. Um, Just to remember that it's always extremely wonderful and empowering to give tzedakah before performing any mitzvah. It strengthens the mitzvah and pushes it even higher. For if there's any mitzvah that opens doors, it is the mitzvah of feeling for someone else and then acting upon that feeling. It's wonderful to think about someone. But when you do something to really help that person, monetary, with your time, with your love, with your attention, in any and every way. God blesses us infinitely. So always a good idea, of course, to give tzedakah before we do any mitzvah. 
And may this initiative, the Jewish Women's National Day of Prayer, be a merit for the elevation of the soul of Dawn Nates, whose name was Devorah Henechaya Basreb David. So here we are on the sixth day of the month of Elul, and almost a week has passed of this very, very special month. In fact, today is the first Friday of the month of Elul, and tomorrow will be actually the second Shabbos, in a sense, although the truth is that there are two days of Rosh Chodesh, so the first day of Elul was on Sunday, and here we are, almost a quarter way through. What is Elul? Elul is a time to take stock, and Elul is a time to reframe. Well, we're taught that it's never too late, and there's always an opportunity. So what makes now different? And the answer is that the energy in the air at this time of year is different. What happened historically? We often speak about the fact that historically this is an incredibly potential-laden time. There were three sets of 40 days. We have now entered the third set of 40 days. When did the first set begin? At the giving of the Torah at Sinai. And there in the desert, almost three million people heard and witnessed revelation. They heard God give his law, his plan for creation and entrusting it into the hands of the Jewish people who were the ones who said, we will take it, we will run with it, we commit ourselves. And our sages describe Sinai as a betrothal. There was a chosen, there was a kala. The master of the universe was a chosen, and the Jewish nation agreed to marry him and that they would partner with him in bringing his hopes and dreams to fruition. And of course, as the Medri says in Tanchoma, God desired for himself a dwelling place in this physical, low, as it were, removed from spirituality world, and that we, living in a normal, physical, material life, are able to bring godliness into, through, and out of everything that we encounter and everything that we do. So this is a time now where historically there was an opportunity for forgiveness. So again, a bit of the history. The first 40 days, when the Torah was given at Shavuot, and the people said, yes, we commit ourselves. Then Moshe went up onto the mountain as bidden by Hashem to study the whole of the Torah. And who was his teacher? The Almighty himself. Imagine a teacher like that. With a teacher like that, you really get it. And just at the end of that first 40 days, the Jewish people somehow 
succumbed to fear, to uncertainty that maybe Moshe wasn't coming back. They had miscalculated and they created for them, for themselves, a calf, an idol, the golden calf, something to, God forbid, replace Moshe, their leader. And when Moshe came down off the mountain, it was the end of the first 40 days. And unfortunately, it ended sour. The first days were a honeymoon, euphoria. Whatever the people that experienced at Sinai, they were busy studying and remembering and discussing. But then there was that terrible realization that they had stepped out of the relationship. Moshe came down, judged the people, and then the next 40 days, he went back up to the mountain to pray that God doesn't destroy the people. After 40 days of that, he came down to check on the people, and that was on the 29th day of Av. Then he went back up on the mountain and spent another 40 days. We'll be right back to explain what those 40 days were about. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. I'm Mashi Lipsker. It is Erev Shabbos, the first Friday in the month of Elul. And we're speaking historically that Elul corresponds to the last 40 days that Moshe Rabbeinu, our teacher Moshe, was up on the mountain. The marriage had begun, the betrothal, the marriage, at the giving of the, of the Torah at Sinai at Shavuot. However, the contract, the first set of tablets, was shattered, destroyed, well, broken. It was never destroyed. We saved it. We traveled with it. And then the second 40 days started, and those were days of praying that God does not destroy the people, the wife who had stepped out of the relationship so soon after the marriage. But then the third set of 40 days, Moshe Rabbeinu went up on the mountain, and now it was a time of retying the knot. It was an energy of grace, of favor, of forgiveness, of the revelation of the 13 attributes of mercy. For God does understand that we are human beings and that we make mistakes. But there is a way. There is a way to come back. There is a way to retie the knot. There is a way to not only strengthen and re-strengthen the relationship, but to take it to a level that it never could have been without the discord, without the struggle, the difficulty, the strife. And after 40 days of this wonderful time of grace, Moshe came down off the mountain, and it was Yom Kippur, and he brought the second set of tablets. And Yom Kippur is known as a day of marriage. Just like Shavuot is a day of marriage, so is Yom Kippur. So historically, this is a time of favor and grace. This is a time of return. This is a time of forgiveness. This is a time where the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, as we mentioned last week, describes a time as a time when the king is in the field. What does that mean? And he gives a parable, and he explains 
that as with a mortal king, who throughout the year is in the palace, and who cannot be approached easily, you need appointments. There are guards at every gate and at every doorway. You need to get through all of these um, shoimrim, all of these guards, sentinels, who are going to ask you, you have an appointment? Where are you going? Who are you? Do you deserve to go? In other words, it's not so easy. But once a year, the king comes out into the field. And it's before entering the city that the king is accessible to the people. And the king's loyal subjects go out to welcome the king in the field. And everyone has an opportunity to greet the king. He's available. He's smiling. He's informally accessible without the undue pump and circumstance protocol of having to go through the various channels. He's right there. And when the king is in the field, all one has to do is to approach him. And the king, it says, welcomes everyone graciously with a smiling face and grants them their petitions. This is the month of Elul. It's a chance when all of us can get closer to him. We can all present our petitions, our needs. But that step in approaching him means we do something, even something small, to shift out of our habits, to shift out of something that we know keeps us stuck. We make a small step, and the king responds with, the Almighty responds with infinite gracious response, granting favor, granting grace. And what do we want? We want that the new year should be a better year, a happier year, materially, spiritually, a year in which there has been a difference, growth, the attainment of hopes and dreams. And therefore, because we are in this incredible gift of a month, where not only historically was it a time of grace to Moshe on behalf of the Jewish people, but every year that energy repeats itself. And here we are at the end of the first week. We still have today and tomorrow. Such an auspicious month where the first Lubavitcher Rebbe says, think of it as a king coming into the field. You don't have to be so formal. You just have to shift out of something, which means just take a step toward the king. And the king responds with a smiling face and graciously grants each person what they request, what they ask for. Of course, then, the people will follow the king into the city. But that refers to Rosh Hashanah, where there are specific mitzvahs of the day, to hear the shofar, to say prayers, which our sages have instituted, for they are paths, they are direct routes to being able to arouse God's mercy. And now, 
There are no festivals in the month of Elul. So in our daily lives, we need to look at ways to actually incorporate Elul into the everyday. And so let's remember that this is a once a year chance where the king is amongst the people, not in the city where it's formal and there are street signs and there are palace walls and there are guards at every wall and we have to follow all the rules and take all the steps that are written in the protocol in order to approach the king. Now, with a sincere heart, we can push through all of those barriers. The king is in the field means the king is accessible. But let's remember, such a beautiful time should not be wasted in the least. A parable is given, and the parable is about a king who announced to his subjects that on a certain day his palace grounds would be open from nine to five. And anyone who wished to come into the king's treasury and choose treasures that they could take home with them. And there was one stipulation that they actually prepare a basket, weave a basket with their own hands. And so it was early in the morning of the day that they had been waiting for, that there were lines of people outside the closed palace gates. And when the gates swung open, everybody rushed inside, wanting to go and fill their baskets with treasure. But obviously, the king didn't make it totally that easy. The people had to do something. As they came inside, it was so beautiful. They'd never been inside the palace gates, and they were dazzled by the beautiful lawns, the fountains, the tall trees, the rare birds. Everything was mesmerizing. And suddenly the king instructed that this most wonderful orchestra strike up. Suddenly wonderful music filled the air. And all around them, were all kinds of interesting things, famous people, artists, talented singers. Everybody was there to add pleasure to the experience, but could also serve as a distraction. There was wonderful food being offered around, and the people forgot that they must focus on the goal, and in fact people began to just relax. They'd worked hard to make the baskets. They'd waited for this day. They'd gotten up early, and they knew they had a lot of time. And so some were dancing, and others were smelling roses. Others were tasting food, and others were enjoying the art. There was plenty of time. And there was one clever man who looked inside and said, The king's giving us choices. Obviously, it means a lot more if you meet the challenge. And he actually went home and got himself some earplugs and blinkers. And clutching his basket, he made it through the distractions, the hubbub, the tumult that was going on in that beautiful palace garden. And he made it to the end 
where the king was waiting in attendance in a beautiful, beautiful crystal treasure house. And he came in. Oh, he said, Your Majesty, what can I have? And the king said, Whatever you want. And he looked and he saw diamonds and rubies and emeralds and sapphires and the most beautiful collection of treasures. And when he asked, may I have a diamond? The king said, take as many as you can fit into your basket. And so it was, rubies and emeralds and diamonds and sapphires, you name it. And his basket was packed full with treasures that he could use, not only on that day and that year, but for a lifetime and a lifetime of his children and their children and their children. He carefully took the treasures home put them away, and then he came back, and he still had plenty of time to smell the roses, to hear the music, to relax, and to fill himself with an appreciation of the king's kindness in having placed them in this beautiful garden for their pleasure and in order that they come closer to the king, understanding him through the beauty all around them. And it was at about ten minutes before five when suddenly the king told the musicians to stop and all the bakers and confectioners and waiters to move aside and all the personalities, the artists, etc., to just stop. And suddenly the people woke up. Oi, it's late! And they began to rush toward the treasury but the doors were already swinging shut. It's an interesting parable that can be applied to this time of year. The king is in the field. The king is next to us. The king is encouraging us. Come, I will give you whatever you ask for. Just take a step toward me. Yes, we are in a world that distracts us, but this as we studied in last week's parsha, is the choice. Because when we actually achieve something through our own efforts, through having had a challenge, it is far more precious to us than something that has been handed to us. And a person who can see, a person who can perceive the greatness in this time will act upon it. In fact, it's amazing that the entire book of Devarim of Deuteronomy has been set out for us to be read at this time of the year. All the parashiot speak about coming back, about teshuva. All of these parashiot help us to prepare for Rosh Hashanah, the new year, and the entire new year. And it's interesting that the word New, in Hebrew, Hadash or Hadasha, is a wonderful word that also shares its root with the word Chodesh, which is a month. There is renewal on a regular basis. But then the word Shana is from the word, in a sense, old. The Shanot is to repeat. It's a cycle. So there is routine. There is nature. Shana, to repeat, Vishinantam Levanecha, you shall teach them over and over again to your children. But we have a chance now to infuse newness, 
into the old. It's not that we're going to transform in a moment, but the theme is to come back to who we really are. The theme of the whole book is Teshuvah. And what is Teshuvah? It's to return to Hashem after a lapse in commitment, just as it was during those 120 years from the time of the giving of the Torah till the first Yom Kippur, when the second set of tablets were brought down. The theme is to rededicate ourselves to who we really are. And it highlights the possibility that we can make amends, that there's no such thing as too late. We can build a better future. Moshe Rabbeinu, our teacher, lovingly sets out the tools that we need. And he stretches it out from the beginning of the book where he speaks about remembering, he speaks about being aware, he speaks about practical laws, as are the ones that we find in the parsha this week. And this week, Shoftim, he highlights the necessity to empower authority and the necessity to submit to authority. You know, we don't have objectivity. We have a desire for things to be better. But we need objectivity. Other people can see us. We don't see ourselves. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe deeply begged each and every one of us. He called it Bakosha Nafshis. I ask you with a soul request, a request from deep in my soul, to be open to seek the objectivity of those who can help us, to live our lives according to Hashem's plan and according to His wishes, and then to make the choice of submitting to these suggestions and to this type of direction, to have someone who can help us review our our behavior, And not just to have someone, but to respect them, to empower them, and then to listen to them. We'll be right back after this short break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. I'm Mashi Lipsker. And the Parsha is Shoftim. And the month is Elul. A month of incredible opportunity. So how do we harness the opportunity and make it real so that when we do come to Rosh Hashanah, the 10 days of Teshuvah, Yom Kippur, we will feel that we have genuinely shifted, that we have done something different, which will make the year to follow different, more blessed, more satisfying. And the Parsha tells us that we must choose Shoftim, judges, mentors. We must put them into place, Bechol She'orecha, in all of your cities, we have to not only be willing to listen when it suits us, we have to subject ourselves, commit ourselves to authority, those who understand Torah, those who can mentor us, 
and we need to them know that Hashem has put them into place and that the word of God will come through them. You know, each one of us naturally wants to do Hashem's will. And we need help living in a material world, living in society, encountering people, encountering things that are there to enhance our lives if we use them correctly. We need objectivity. And a mentor will help us reconnect with and uncover our true selves. What does everybody really want? They want to feel whole. They want to feel unified with their inner selves. People don't want to feel fragmented. People want to feel a sense of wholeness. And so the parsha begins and Hasidic teaching illuminates. When Moshe Rabbeinu, when our teacher Moshe instructed B'nai Israel, the Jewish people, to appoint judges throughout the land to judge cases and then sheriffs to carry out, to uphold the law. If we look at it, the Hebrew word for she'orecha used here, for cities used here, is literally she'orecha, your gates. And Hasidic teaching explains that the gates of our bodies are our ears, our eyes, our nose, and our mouth. The external world will enter our bodies and our personal world through these four gates. What we hear, what we see, what we perceive, and what we taste. And so the Pasuk is requiring us to station judges and sheriffs to guard the gates so that the stimuli that could be harmful to our spiritual health will be stopped from entering, stopped from intruding. When we study the Torah, we learn which influences are good for us, are permitted, are beneficial, but we also learn what's no good for us, what's God forbid harmful, and therefore Hashem calls it forbidden. What is permitted and forbidden in the Torah are things that are good for us or not good for us. So the job of the policeman, the sheriff, these are techniques that each of us needs to cultivate in order to quiet and combat the voices within us that oppose the decisions of our inner judges. We have inner judges. We're going to speak about them. We are constructed by Hashem in a very wonderful way. And that is that God put our minds higher than our hearts. And we have the power, in fact, we naturally have something called that the moach shalit alalev, that our minds naturally rule our emotions. Our first authority is our intellect. We have our own inner judge. It's our mind. 
and we need to cultivate our minds to train them and to make ourselves human by virtue of not allowing the reaction, the emotion, the animal within us to lead the way. Our inner judge, our intellect, must be cultivated to scrutinize a situation, to review a situation. The mind's job is to rule our emotions. The mind is the governor. It's got to govern our emotions. It's got to govern our emotions according to the instructions of the Torah. Because by nature, the mind rules the heart. You know, we know that our minds are powerful. So often our bodies hurt because our minds are worried. In grade one, in primary school, when a child has a tummy ache, you want to check if they aren't hungry, they don't have a sore tummy for another reason, but there's something called a worry tummy. Is your tummy hurting because you're worried about something? And as adults, as life's challenges and rough parts wear us down, we find ourselves becoming more and more fragile. We sometimes just don't feel well because our minds are not calm. The mind is so powerful. Positively, the mind can be harnessed to be an incredible tool to serve God, to lead a happy life, to lead the person, to be the judge, to be the guide. Unfortunately, we mostly don't use our minds correctly. We largely don't harness the power of our minds. In other words, to be truly human, to be a moach shalit al-halev. And in the Parsha this week, leading up to Rosh Hashanah, God instructs us to put judges and sheriffs at all our gates. We need not to be quick to look, to listen, to speak and taste, to smell our eyes, our ears, our nose, our mouth, the gateways to the body must be carefully guarded. Where am I going? What am I looking at? And where is it taking me? What am I listening to? And how am I judging according to that? We must direct our lives, harness our intellect so it can help us. We've got to listen to direct our lives in the direction that it should go. Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz, the genius of our times, once visited the Rebbe and told him of a dilemma where he was working on five projects and it was overwhelming. And he didn't know maybe the Rebbe would help him to choose which ones to focus on. And the answer of the Rebbe was startling. He explained a law in quantum physics that when something is put under tremendous amount of pressure, you can condense it, and the and and there can be room for much more. And the analogy, Rabbi Steinsalt says, was obvious. I'm not going about it correctly. I can even do more than I'm doing. But the question is to analyze what is stopping us. 
How are we going about things in the most productive time with with our time kind of way? Are we saving time? Are we using time? For time is our greatest gift. Are we maximizing time? We all have inborn love of God, fear of God, but they become trapped. They become prisoners in our daily lives. We have a material life that God desired for us, but we become prisoners of our own materialistic side, that lifestyle. Hashem made us very physical. We have a nature. We tend toward materialism. But there are ways. There are ways and means of negotiating the challenging life that Hashem has put us into. The question is, will we be guided? And the Rebbe asks us to listen to what it says in Ethics of Our Fathers. Asay l'chorav. Choose for yourself. Appoint for yourself a mentor. And that Mishnah in the first chapter of Pirkei Avot, twice, twice is repeated. The one time it says, Appoint for yourself a mentor and acquire for yourself a friend. What's a friend? A friend is someone who truly looks out for you. He cares about you. He's not shy. He'll tell you. He cares about your physical well-being, your material well-being, your spiritual well-being, your emotional, your mental well-being. It's somebody who doesn't curry favor but tells it to you as it is. Appoint for yourself a mentor. And the second time the mission is repeated in Ethics of Our Father, Father's Chapter 1 is, Appoint for yourself a mentor and be freed, escape from doubt. There's nothing more destructive than indecision. I don't know. I'm not sure. Objectivity can make us more sure. So important that we realize that each and every one of us can do it. And to conclude today, there are two more things I want to say. Number one, in the parsha this week, Moshe tells the people that they may indeed appoint a king over themselves, a king of God's choice. And of course, we haven't had a king since the destruction of the first temple. And until the time of Mashiach, because Mashiach himself will be a king, we won't have a king. But still the mitzvah is there. And the mitzvah is to appoint a higher authority over ourselves individually and collectively, wherever it's relevant. And that's why our sages implore us, provide yourself with a teacher of Torah. Consult with this teacher on all matters of spiritual life. And we shouldn't think we can be our own judges and our own sheriffs. We shouldn't think that nobody can understand me. Nobody can be my mentor, my king. The Torah assures us that if we search properly and diligently, we will indeed find the mentors, the guides that are best suited for our own spiritual needs.
And may we all be successful in bringing God's presence into our daily life. Remember, it is the Friday of Jewish Women's National Day of Prayer and International Day of Prayer. Let's light our candles by 531. Let's invite others to light with us. Shabbos goes out at 621 tomorrow. A guten Shabbos.